Yeah. Tēnā koutou katoa. Greetings, everyone. Hi there, my and welcome to the Sustainable Wine Virtual Field Trip. I'm Andrew Lerns, Field Trip Teacher, and it's Halloween, for those of you who didn't know. 31st of October, and it's Wednesday, just gone 9.15. So this is our second Field Trip Web Conference, and this morning you're at the Department of Conservation office in Turangi Town Centre, which is a fairly um, newly established office. Um, so you've only been in here a few months. Uh, almost a year now. Oh, almost a year. So to my left is Krisha, who's the Hope for Tomorrow educator. And to my right is Michelle, who is a scientist for the Department of Conservation in the fisheries, fisheries part. Yep. Yep. So um, you can find out more about both of our experts. If you just go to the uh, web, um, sorry, the experts and careers page on the field trip website you can find out a bit more about uh, these guys and what they do great just have a little pan around that classroom down there i haven't got much to show you here we're just in a little meeting room so but what i can show you is uh egbert so egbert's the field trip mascot or ambassador and uh, he got a new friend yesterday on from from garth at tongarira river rafting eddie the field <coughs> Because the fuel are, are ducks that whistle, they don't quack, which is really interesting. And they um, and fuel are a if you if you haven't um, seen before, they're actually on the ten dollar note, and they're quite an endangered duck. Uh, they're an endemic duck, and they love fresh, clean water. And so we were really lucky enough to see fuel on the river with four little ducklings as we were going down in the raft with Gar. And so make sure you check out the, the video today so you can have a look at those ducklings and the field parents yourselves. So, oh look, we can, I can see myself on the screen in the classroom. <laughs> I'm booming in on the big screen. That's pretty cool. You finally made it. Yeah. <laughs> so guys, look, we really want to um, get some of your questions this morning. So we've got Michelle, who is uh, a scientist, a fisheries scientist. So think about some questions with a scientific nature um, to do with with the trout fishery and um, and Kresha is the topo for tomorrow educator, so she's really um, knows a lot about you know just basic freshwater ecology. Yesterday, for example, we were looking at macroinvertebrates, little critters that live in streams, and then um, she might be able to talk and answer questions about. Um, native fish, freshwater fish, uh, water quality, all sorts of things. Krishna knows a lot about all sorts of things. So, uh, <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> we'll see how we go anyway. So, what you'll see down the bottom is the chat pod. And if you click on that chat pod, um, that's where you can type in your questions. So, um, but I guess I could start, Michelle. You know, you've been a fishery scientist for the Department of Conservation quite a while, um, years and years. <laughs> what, what makes this fishery so unique compared to the rest of the country? Well, 
what the biggest difference is that uh, we have a lot of rivers that are draining into the largest lake of the, of the country. So the combination of many rivers and a big lake that gives a lot, a lot of opportunity for for having a large population of, of fish. The second thing is that the water quality in Taupo is very, very good because most of the catchments, they are in places where it's forest rather than farms like in other places in the country. I would say that's the main, the main reason why Taupo fishery is so good. Mm. And we certainly saw evidence of the fact that the Tongariro was, was clean. You know, we lifted up just a couple of rocks and uh, James, who was with us yesterday afternoon, um, released a few of these macroinvertebrates into a net that creature was holding. And I couldn't believe the amount, the number and variety of uh, little critters that landed in that net just from one small part of the river. And that also shows, as I learned yesterday, that uh, the water quality is good. So, um, so you're involved with with science in terms of what, what, what sort of things, you know, do you look at uh, in, from a scientific point of view um, in terms of the trout fishery? Well, what do you study? A trout fishery means that you need to have fish and you also need to have people fishing for them. If you don't have one or the other, then you don't have a fishery. So if you want to understand how a fishery works, you have to look at what the fish are doing but also at what the anglers are doing. There is as the two different parts of the, of the fishery. So the fish, this is mainly biology. You want to try to understand where do they go, how many are there, if they are in good condition, how many comes back to spawn, how many survive, how many times they come to spawn, that sort of things. What do they eat? Uh, where do they go in the lake? When do they come? everything that's related to their, their life cycle. And uh, from the anglers, it's a bit more complicated, but you still have to understand how, when you do regulation in fishing, for example, you need to monitor if the anglers are actually reacting the way you expected, if the, if the anglers are happy with the new regulation, or if they are disappointed. So this is a lot of surveying anglers asking them questions about if they still like the fishery as it is and sometimes you also get some really good suggestion of how things could be improved. So there's a real mix of um, sort of science but a, but a real social aspect as well yep. about the people that are actually using the river. So there's a question from Daisy. <laughs> Do you think if the government was more environmentally focused the rivers wouldn't be polluted? Who would like to answer that one? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, there you go. It's, it's that one word, absolutely. Can I say something? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I think, uh, yes, but I think our current government is doing some really good things in that space. But also, it's not, it doesn't just come from the top. It comes from the bottom as well. So the more we demand, demand? that we have healthy rivers, the more that we ask for change and make change happen ourselves, the more our government will have to follow our lead. So it's not just from them, it's from us as well. So you guys can make a difference. Well, there's, so there's another question here from uh, Amelie. Uh, what are the things that we can do to protect rivers and streams? 
There are a lot of things, and I'll pass it over to Michelle. He might have some things to say, but I will say that I went to a talk by probably one of the most well-known uh, ecologists in New Zealand. He's a freshwater ecologist called Mike Joy, and he told us, because I asked him this question myself, he told us that the one thing we can do to help protect our rivers and streams is eat less meat. That's not to say you have to stop eating meat, <laughs> but maybe have meat-free Mondays or something. Um, so that was a big surprise to me, that the biggest thing that I could do to protect my hour was that. But there's heaps of other things. Did you want to talk about some things? Yeah, well, I think it's the, it's the most important uh, message that, that we got from, uh, from my joy that you can do. You can also do things very, very simple, like uh, don't throw anything in the river. And if you see someone making making a mess around the river, just tell them that this is this is a river that we would like to see it being available for the people after us, not only you and you and I, but uh, just by saying to people, if you witness something that they're doing is not right, then just tell them. Yeah, we mentioned this yesterday. I mean, this field trip is a great learning uh, way to, to, for you to learn about um, how to keep rivers clean and, and the importance of it. So share that knowledge and you might be surprised that um, you think adults know everything. Well, they don't. Um, and so you might be able to change a few minds and inform a few adults as to some different practices. So there's a, there's a question attached to... Um, daisies as well, um, how, how does a polluted river affect the wildlife and the creatures in it? The, the biggest problem with pollution, at least in New Zealand, is what it's called eutrophication. That means that there is too much good thing in the river, in fact. There is too much nutrients in the river. And what happens is that a lot of nutrients will, will feed a very, very large population of algae. And those algae, what they're going to do, they're going to produce oxygen during the day and they're going to consume oxygen during the day. That means during the night. That means that you have a very large difference in oxygen concentration in the water between day and night. It's a bit like you have to survive in, in a room that half of the day it has a lot of oxygen, but half the other half it has nothing. And there is not many animal species that can that can cope with that, and that's why pollution, uh, eutrophication, is is really bad. So you say that there's there's too much nutrient in the water mm. when when it's a, when it's called pollution. How do you do, does a river provide its own nutrients under natural circumstances? Yes, uh, the, the there, there are two ones, the, the, the phosphorus and the, and the nitrogen. And the phosphorus is mainly uh, present in the ground. Uh, naturally, you have phosphorus in the ground. Nit nitrogen comes from bacterial activity. It comes from uh, uh, organic decaying, like, for example, the leaves that fall in the river. They eventually, they're going to they're gonna release the nitrogen. And... Uh, the overall amount of nitrogen and phosphorus, which is produced naturally, uh, that gives that has the right balance for the for the river to stay clear. But if on top of that you had a lot and lots of phosphorus or and nitrogen, then you start to tilt the balance to, towards uh, eutrophication. So you mentioned um, 
you mentioned the clarity of the water. Um, if if there's too much nutrification, does that cloud the water? In the lake, it will, in a, because the clarity of the water in the lake, it's mainly uh, caused by the chlorophyll, which is the, the, the green coloring that you have in plants. So if you have a lot of plants in the lake, then the lake will turn green instead of being clear. In rivers, the clarity of the river is more dependent on uh, um, the sediment input. For example, when you have a fresh or a flood, you have a lot of dirt that goes into the river and that will, that will uh, drop the clarity of the water. But in the lake, yes, this is the amount of nutrients that's going to give its color. There's a question from Shannon. What's the most polluted river you've ever seen or visited? Well, uh, I would say the Manawatu is, um, is one of the worst uh, in New Zealand. It's the worst in New Zealand and it's among the worst in the world. It's worse than the Mississippi and it's worse than the Yangtze Kiang in China. So it's a very, very polluted river, very sick river. Well, that's amazing to think that um, it's one of the worst in the world. Yeah. That's, that's quite sad. Um, and Harry, what's stopping the laws being enforced on white baiting? Do you want to have a crack at that one? <laughs> okay. So just, just, uh, just a bit of background, actually. We, we talked a little bit about white bait yesterday and that there's five, five species of white bait, uh, all native um, species of fish. And there was a discussion we had in yesterday's web conference about um, the decline in their numbers. However, there's been no law change to stop the catch and sale of white bait. So there's, there's a little bit of sort of greyness in this whole area. So good question. Yep, so the wording of the question, what's stopping laws being enforced, is a bit misleading because really there aren't any laws there to enforce, um, that we can enforce at the moment um, around white baiting. The laws are very loose and they're all in the favour of white baiting. So um, I think that's something that we're looking at at the moment. In fact, there's a a survey out at the moment. You can Google um, a white bait survey. Um, sorry, I can't remember the exact address, but um, on your your feelings and your thoughts about white baiting, maybe your class could do a submission. Um, so they're reviewing that, and then they're going to decide how those laws might change. So at the moment, what's stopping it is that there's nothing to enforce. We we can't protect them because there's no law there. Um, so it's about changing that so that we can. Yeah, and it's a really delicate issue because, you know, there's people that rely on white bait for an income. Um, there's, uh, there's old cultural elements involved, um, you know, heavily, heavily um, so quite, quite heavy social elements as well, you know, from, from generations of, of white baiting, people having a place on a river where they go to every year and have done for generations. So there's, there's a, it's, you know, 
politics is difficult because you've got to, there's so many different ways of looking at things and ways that things are done. And so it's probably why it takes so long for change. Yeah, yeah. and we've got to make sure we're, we're never going to make everybody happy. Nobody can ever make everybody happy. But um, it's about trying to strike that balance between the needs and the wants of different groups, including the fish. Um, yeah, so, and the, the reason that we have um, most of our whitebait in decline is mostly because of loss of habitat, which is generally due to water quality. So one of the arguments against whiteback control is that, well, that's not the problem. It's not the fishing that's the problem. But Michelle would like to add something there. And I think there is also a, another reason why it's difficult to manage whiteback is because unlike trout, there is not much things that's known about uh, whitebait. For example, counting whitebait uh, to, to know if there is enough of them for the anglers, for, yeah, for the anglers to catch them, this is something that's very, very complicated because, as you know, the young, the young uh, whitebait, they go into the sea and then they come back along the river. So you're dealing with a system which is very, very large. So to know exactly uh, how many fish are coming back, it's a real challenge because you need to know how many are coming back and how many can be taken without actually putting the population uh, in, in jeopardy. But one thing James talked about in Nisto's web conference was the idea of white bait farming. So, you know, that, that, that may be a future avenue that takes pressure off the, the natural fishery. There was a question just before from Max. I uh, was interested in knowing um, some of the different organisations that you work with. I wonder if that's because of the hat that I'm wearing. <laughs> um, so... Oh, where is it? This is the old logo, but um, you'll see on the side of my hat is Genesis Energy. Um, so part of what I do with Fuel Forever is working with Genesis Energy um, because they produce a lot of our electricity using our waterways. So they use, they're using our fresh water. Um, and so they have a stake in it. That's why they want to help protect some of the things that live there and also to educate others. So my program, Total for Tomorrow, is all about fresh water and it's funded by Genesis Energy. So that's one of the organisations that I work with. So um, what else do we use? There's lots of other local organisations that we work with. So um, Project Tomorrow is a volunteer organisation that does restoration. Um, I work with educators all over the country in different, different places, and viral schools, all sorts of things like that. Um, Michelle probably works with a whole lot of different people. We have, uh, from time to time, we're working with uh, Environment Waikato because they are the entity which is responsible for the, the water quality. Um, so obviously they are very close to, to what we're doing and from time to time we, we share expertise and experience between, between us. We worked with various uh, universities because uh, doing some research on fish, sometimes it's, uh, it provides a really good material for students to make a PhD thesis or master thesis. So we, we're working with different universities uh, in New Zealand and also overseas when uh, things are very, very complicated and complex. Then we try to find um, 
association with people all around the world who are able to, to help us. Cool, and um, we're going to meet Cam Speedy, who's uh, works for Genesis Energy tomorrow. And he'll be talking more about that idea of striking the balance in terms of use of your water. Uh, Gus wanted to know if there is a good way to stop pollution of rivers altogether. Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> um, the answer is no, <laughs> unless you want to take all of us away. Um, but we can minimise our impact. So that means we can reduce it to where it's not having a huge impact on the things that live in our awa and our rivers. Um, but we're never going to not have an impact on our environment. That's it's just how we are, the way that we live. So, so quick. I think that we could go, we could go a long way if we stop adding nutrients to the river. So that's probably the best, the best way to have a. It's not going to be a complete fix because, as uh, Tricia said, you would need to get rid of everything. But if we don't add more nutrients to the system, then we're going to be a long way uh, better off as far as the water quality in rivers go. So the, the next question to that was from Quinn, and how do we convince people to not do that? <laughs> uh, the problem is that the reason why we add uh, nutrients in the system, this is purely economical. So you, if you want to make a, a living, then you try to produce as much as possible from the land that you have. And this is where you add some new stuff that if you don't, then your land will be less productive. And if it's, well, although that this philosophy is changing a bit now, but generally speaking, people put more on the land so that they can get more money in return. Uh, and that's basically the reason why we put more nutrients in the system. It's a financial reason. Can I also sure. that? So um, one of the best ways that we can convince people is to allow them to experience what we've experienced. So if you've been to a river, things like that, that aren't, don't look great, things like that, use your emotions and share that story. Um, actually talking to people, not just saying our rivers are unhealthy because that's not very, um, it's not appealing to people's hearts. Um, if you if you guys, particularly coming from you guys, if it comes from me, they're going to be like, eh, whatever. <laughs> if it comes from young people who are going to grow up with these rivers, then people will be more likely to listen. So you guys can have an impact. For sure. Um, Malaki, if you could suggest something to the government, and they would probably do your suggestion, what would it be and why? I need three hours to think of an answer for this. <laughs> Michelle, off the top of your head, what would be your one suggestion? I would say that the first one would be put less animals in the land. Make it meat-free Monday mandatory. <laughs> um, mandatory meat-free Mondays. <laughs> To, to expand on that, I think I would encourage, I would get the government to 
um, support, finance, and encourage alternative industries. So um, diversifying New Zealand's um, uh, where we get our money um, to more than just dairy and meat because those things are starting to be able to be uh, made in laboratories, made more sustainably, sustainably, or there are alternatives. So I would, I would get the um, government to encourage looking into those alternatives so that when change comes, because it is coming, some of it's already here, our farmers have other things to do. Um, and overall, I think that would make New Zealand more sustainable. Hmm. Really interesting too, because that whole idea of, of um, say, the dairy industry, for instance, um, is apparently having an impact on climate change in terms of methane output. Yeah. So, maybe that steak I had for dinner last night wasn't a good idea after all. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, a few more questions here to finish off. Um, that was a great question, by the way, Malaki. You really had our experts thinking. Caleb, when is the best time to be sustainable? Uh, what do we get back if we are sustainable? Well, it's always a good time to be sustainable. Yeah, the best time to be sustainable is right now and from now on. <laughs> it's not a thing that you should be doing occasionally or you think about once a month, once a year or that you occasionally add into your life. It's something that we do all of the time. It's our lifestyle. Um, that's not to say you have to stress about it, but you can slowly make your whole lifestyle more sustainable. Um, and and there's the, the question here, what do we get back if we're sustainable? Um, well, uh, you get rid of a guilty conscience and you set the planet up for its future because sustainability is about things keeping on going. So it's not just about, we can't, we can't be so selfish and just think about our own gain right now. We have to think about generations to come down the track. Um, Can I just yeah. add to that? But if you are wanting to be selfish, sometimes you do want to be selfish, think about your future. You're still going to be here in 20 years and 30 years and 40 years. <laughs> what if all of our rivers look like the Manawatu? What's the most effective way to be environmentally friendly? Was Umesh? Oh gosh, that's hard. Um, so many different ways. Yeah, um, reduce your waste. Um, mm, not just in eating, but in things that you buy. So, I, like, I don't, I don't go out and buy clothes anymore. I. <laughs> I don't have a, I'm not very fashionable, let's be honest, but um, things like buying clothes every season just so you look different. Well, if you are going to buy clothes, um, buy, buy clothes that are, are made of natural fibres mm -hmm. because then they will eventually break down. Um, not like this. This is basically plastic. Yeah. <laughs> Some really good questions this morning, guys. You're really um, stumping us. Yep. It's hard to give one line answers to these things. That's the critical question. That's even that's the real beauty of this is that you have understood exactly where the problem is and how big the problem is. So I think it's very important that you 
talk a lot about yourself, among yourself about that. Um, and, and you never know, maybe someone will have a really, really good idea of how we can, how we can address. But I think the message is that this sustainability business, because if it's not sustainable by definition, it's going to end. And um, if it ends, try to think about it. So there was a, oh, Barry just wanted to know why the Manawatu River is so polluted when, when, um, when its biggest city, Palmerston North, 90,000 population is so small compared to cities like Auckland, which has got 1.5 million people. Um, it's a really good point. I mean, it's a small city. Um, that means that it can't be the only reason why such a small city can, can pollute that, that river to that level. But the problem is that on top of the fact that the, the, the sewage treatment of the city is probably not up to scratch, there's also different industries in the, in the catchment, like a slaughterhouse, like, a, um, yeah, slaughterhouse mainly, which will have a huge input of nutrients into the system. And on top of this, you have a very, very intensive dairy farming, which, as we know, is one of the main, uh, the main producer of extra nutrients that eventually going to end up in the river. So it's a combination of the city, the industry around the city, and also the industry on the land, farming on the land, which is very uncommon in, in many other places around the world to have such a high intensity of farming around the, the, the river. Mm. And Ethan wants to know if we're going trick-or-treating tonight. Um. Yes. Uh, we're having a big Halloween party in Turangi, so I'm definitely going. Are you guys? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I'll be. Oh. I, don't, I, don't, I wasn't invited to the party. Oh, well, I can take you. <laughs> when I get my diary written, I might come. <laughs> um, so, yes, they're all going. Look at them all. <laughs> you don't need to dress up, guys. <laughs> hey, look, I think it's brought uh, a, a close to our web conference. So while you were standing there, um, I'll just say, yeah, just a reminder, go on and have a look at the videos from yesterday, have a read of my diary and look at the images, some really cool pictures of some native freshwater fish species. So check those out. And um, thanks for being a part of the webinar. It is recorded, so you can listen to it later if you like. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, you guys have a great day and say a big goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thanks guys, that brings our web conference to an end. See you next time.